Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck, a Medallia company, and the Success League. StrikeDeck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. The StrikeDeck solution enables churn prevention, upsells, and customer advocacy. They use machine learning and predictive analytics to bubble up insights and alerts about customer health, sentiment, and engagement. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top performing customer success team that drives retention and revenue for their organization. We also offer a certification program for CSMs and coaching for customer success leaders. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Hayer, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. Today, our podcast features a member of the Customer Success Leadership Network Governing Council, Randa Dukonsky, and she is also the Vice President of Customer Success and People Operations at Swiftly. Like many of us, Miranda had a winding path into technology and customer success, and she has experienced shifting from one industry to another and has experience with some of the challenges that poses. That's what we're going to be talking about today, ways to navigate shifting from one industry to another and the role that domain expertise plays in learning a new industry. Miranda, thanks for joining me on today's podcast and representing the Customer Success Leadership Network. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. Since your own career path has informed some of the ideas you'll be sharing today, can you review that with our audience? How did you get to the role that you have today? Yeah, um, so it has been a really interesting journey. If you go way, way, way back, um, I you know, started off, I was almost 14, scooping ice cream in a restaurant. So I think that <laughs> would be my first customer experience job. And I mean, even if you go back further than that, I had my own little cleaning business when I was like nine or 10 years old in my grandma's neighborhood. And in the summer, I would go door to door to see if anybody had cleaning work for me, right? That's awesome. So, yeah. Also I was, very entrepreneurial. Yeah. Yeah. From an early age, I was always thinking about, you know, the service that I could offer and how to do such a good job at it that they would want me to keep coming back. Cool. Um, so I guess I, you know, and this was in the, you know, 90s, uh, in probably late 80s, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, so I think way back before customer success was even thought of, I was indirectly thinking about how could I make my grandma's neighbors successful uh, with their experience with me so I could come back and keep making more money from them. Um, and then if you fast forward a little bit, I, you know, I spent time living in Mexico where I did some relationship management. So I had accounts like Baby Gap and Old Navy and uh, in companies like that. So I learned a lot about relationship management uh, in, in different industries. I then, you know, moved into a uh, tech or not a tech, sorry, a chemicals, plastics and fuels company where I was at uh -huh. for years and then uh, did everything there under the sun. Um, I was a practitioner. I was, you know, everything, training and auditing. You think about it. We, we did it on that team. So, yeah, I've had a very long and windy journey, and, and here I am today uh, as the Vice President of Customer Success and People Ops, 
Um, and here in the Bay Area, and I, I think we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I really dug into, you know, the startup world uh-huh. and um, brought all of that knowledge I had uh, from, you know, the previous, you know, decade of working uh, here to come and build out startups. So I've been able to touch everything from sales, uh, you know, recruiting people ops, uh, collections, customer service, customer support, engineering support, you name it. Um, So yeah, I've been real fortunate to be where I am. Very cool. You have a really diverse background, and I know we're going to get into that more later. Um, I also know we're not going to be specifically focusing on Swiftly, which is where you are right now, but can you briefly give us a little background on the company and the teams that you manage today, just so we have some context? Yeah, of course. So Swiftly is an enterprise software company um, that helps transit agencies and city improve urban mobility. Um, We currently have around, I think, 70 plus customers. We may be actually inching closer to the 80 mark. Uh, across the U.S. and other countries. So we're, we're in Finland, New Zealand, Iceland. I think we're in Australia. Um, so how we work is we consume various data feeds from transit agencies, and we use that data to pri- provide everything from real-time passenger information to analytics uh, uh, for optimization. Currently at Swiftly, I oversee customer success implementations and people ops. Um We are a smaller company, around 50 team members, and in the customer success org, I think we have right around nine team members right now. Okay. Uh, So rapidly growing. That's great. Um, Let's talk about the topic. So why do you think it's important to talk about shifting industries? How often do you see this come up for the CS professionals that you know or people on your own team? Yeah, I, I think this is a really important topic for us to talk about. Um, so I, I know that there is, uh, and I think you're going to touch about this in, in stats as well, but, uh, the average tenure, uh, especially for executives in a tech startup is around 18 months. Yeah. So we are shifting, uh, industries a lot. Uh, it's very rare, especially in tech that you're going to hop from one tech company to another that does the same exact thing. And I think this is true for, uh, the customer success practitioners as well. Uh, you may be a customer success pr- practitioner, but you may not always be in health tech or education tech or whatever tech. Um, so I think it's really crucial that uh, we talk about this and we talk about how we set, we can set each other up for success and the folks that we hire up for success because changing industries can be daunting. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think the stats seem to indicate that it's happening more often than you would maybe think. We did a career study at the Success League last year, and two of our findings, I think, really tie into this topic today. One was that CSMs, frontline CSMs, um, are only staying in their roles for a year and a half on average, which kind of aligns with what you were saying on the executives only sticking around for 18 months. Um, The other stat was that domain expertise really represented about 40% of the important and critical skills that CSMs were bringing to their roles. So those two findings together create this environment where a lot of people are changing roles and presumably some of them are going into different industries, although we didn't really look at the percentage that were jumping around like that. Um, But those people, if they do change industries, are missing that 40%. And so you know, as, as a part of today's topic, we're going to be talking about domain expertise. Um, can you define that 
for the audience, just so they know what we're talking about there? Yeah, uh, domain expertise is simply put, someone that has knowledge in a particular field, industry, or practice. Okay. That's as simple as it is. Yeah. I I sort of, when we were looking at this on um, the study that we did, I sort of, for that study, defined it as anything that was specific to the industry the person was working in. So for example, you know, we were looking at LinkedIn data and one of the things we found was that, you know, for the endorsements, um, a lot of endorsements had to do specifically with um, the company they were working for. So for example, if they were working for a um, digital imaging company, they might have experience in photography and that might be one of their endorsements so that's what i would consider domain expertise yeah no that's that's really that actually is really well put as well so let's get into some specifics for starters what is a good approach for breaking into another industry yeah so i want to call out i've done this multiple times (laughs) um probably more than i should admit uh, but, you know, I started work out working in uh, chemicals, plastics and fuels in the automotive industry in a very large company that had about $50 billion in annual revenue. And that's about as far away from a tech startup as you could be. I've since then shifted to a startup world where I've worked in medical devices, fintech, health tech, electronic signature, workflow tech, vacation rental tech, restaurant tech, you name it. Um, so... Really talking about a good approach for breaking into other another industry, I think first and foremost, <clears throat> educate yourself. Um, really educate yourself on the industry that you want to go into. Figure out you know why you want to go into that industry and what you need to know that's important. Uh, second, I like to say network. Um, it's really crucial that you get out there and you talk to individuals that are maybe in that industry. So get exposure to them, see how they talk about things, uh, you know, see what's important to them. So just get out and get exposure. Um, And don't forget that a lot of your current experience could be applicable. So customer success is one of those fields that likely has similarities in other fields. So you'll see, as as you spoke about earlier, a customer success manager at one uh, company could very well be a customer success manager at another company. So there's a lot of correlation there. Um, and then, and if this is an area that you're passionate about, uh, figure out how to share that passion. Uh, we're current, I'm in the transportation or transit uh, technology industry. So um, we get a lot of folks that join our company directly from transit agencies, and they're extremely passionate about transit. Um, they may not know how to do customer success, which is fine. I, I don't mind teaching that, but mm-hmm. they do know a lot about transit. So if you find you're in a similar position, how do you break in? You know, write about your passion, talk about it, create podcasts uh, like we're doing right now. Talk to experts in the field, right? Do something, get exposure um, and, and get your name out there. Yeah, I'm going to give an example from my own background because I think it can help illustrate how you can jump from field to field. Um, I started my career right out of college in the apparel industry, and I did that for about three years. And then, you know, that was that was about the time when, you know, 
SaaS was just sort of starting and um, I wanted to transition into technology, but I didn't know how to do that. Um, but I had great project management experience from my um, years in the apparel industry. And so I took that and I was able to move to a promotional marketing company because they wanted both my apparel background, which is a promotional marketing thing. You know, a promotional marketing is where you're printing logos on t-shirts and hats and stuff. So apparel industry background is useful, but really what they wanted was my project management background. And then while I was there, I transitioned from project management to sales, which is a really universal um, skill set. And so I was able to take that background in sales and then jump from that promotional marketing company into a technology company that was looking for um, a sales background. So really it's, um, you know, kind of thinking about what you can bring from what you're doing now to the table in the company that you want to go to and um, see if that's enough. And I think sometimes it is. Sometimes those skills that you build in the early part of your career are pretty broadly applicable across a lot of different kinds of companies and you can make the move that way. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also want to say another thing is there are going to be so many opportunities for individuals to raise their hand to do things within their current yes. work, going to get them exposure or skill sets that they need to be able to transfer maybe to the industry they want to be in. So make sure you get your name out where you're at right now, uh, that you're interested in learning how to do project management or you want to shadow sales so you can learn some skills, sales skill sets, right? So be thinking about your total resume and how you can get exposure to other things to have a well-balanced resume. So when you want to make that shift, you could have uh, skill sets that correlate to what they're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's, let's talk about the skills actually. So how do you identify the skills or the domain expertise that you're going to need to develop as you look at a different industry? Uh, who can you talk to or where can you find that information? Yeah, I'm going to keep it really simple. Okay. <laughs> um, first and foremost, uh, and I don't know, you know if this is going too simple, but read job descriptions and see what companies in the industry are looking for. Okay. So figure out what companies are in the industry, go to their careers page, read the job descriptions. What are they asking for? What are the skill sets that they're looking for? A lot of companies, especially in tech, don't say, I'm looking for somebody who has worked in this industry. It's generally skill sets related to that job. But you will find companies that are looking for folks that have healthcare background if they're working in health tech, things like that. So go and look and see what that barrier to entry is. Uh -huh. um, hit LinkedIn. LinkedIn is such a powerful tool. Um, I know it's it's utilized more now than it used to be years ago, but I still think it's underutilized. Uh, I think that you'd be surprised at who would be willing to talk about the industry they're in and, and how they got there. So you could use LinkedIn to reach out. Um, and also, you know, not just for companies that you're looking to get into, but folks that are just in the industry. Um, people are people and people love to talk about themselves. Yeah. So uh, if you reach out and just ask them, hey, you know, what brought you into this industry? And, you know, how could I ever break in? Where did you start? Uh, people are very willing to talk about themselves uh, and, and how they, their, what their journey was. Um, and then also just look for education opportunities. I'll use customer success as an example. 
uh, customer success, if you're looking to get into customer success, there's a lot of uh, content out there. There's blogs, podcasts, meetups, uh, you know, courses. I, the, you're going to find that there is content out there about the industry or type of role that you're looking to get into. So really consume it and become an expert on it. I think that's great advice. I think that last piece too is so important. And, you know, I, I know for myself, I, I have forgotten about just looking for industry resources up almost every industry. It seems like has an association or, you know, some sort of organization that is putting a lot of content out there. And if you can get your hands on that, you can learn to start to speak the language of that industry. And that really helps with interviews, I think. Yeah, definitely. So as you identify a target company you'd like to work for, how can you go about building rapport with the team there? Yeah, so I kind of touched on it a little bit above um, about the networking component. Mm -hmm. But what it really comes down to is making sure that when there is a business need, your name pops into the head of either the team members or the hiring managers. Mm -hmm. So think about that and how do you make that happen? Um, You know, I like to say, yes, it's about you, but how do you make it about the greater good for the organization or the industry? So, uh, you know, think about what can you do to help add to the industry? What can you do to help add to the organization, even if you're not a team member, right? So that then you, you, you know, by just pure um, nature, you become part of their muscle memory. They're like, oh, yeah, I remember when Jane, you know, wrote this great blog, or Jane reached out to talk to us about this. And now we have this, you know, customer success position that's open, we should talk to Jane, right? So think about ways that you can make that happen. And also, if you are targeting a mission driven organization, Um, you'll find that most team members are very passionate about that mission. So kind of going back to it, how do you tap into that mission or that passion and how can you help add to that? Um, those are are two things that I think add to everything we, we talked about above already. Yeah. I think just to kind of give an example of one other thing, I think follow-up is really critical too. It can be, I think, really easy to sort of think, oh, well, I don't want to bug people and you shouldn't bug people. You should be thoughtful about it. But following up is different from bothering people. And one of my favorite people that I've ever hired, she um, came to me in one of um, the roles that I had as a VP um, as somebody who had asked for an informational interview. And she was so enthusiastic and she was um, she just made a great impression, even though she didn't have any experience in our industry her enthusiasm was infectious and it was for a CS role. So it was going to be a a really good fit personality wise. But, you know, I was kind of holding back because she didn't have any experience, but she continued to follow up and every follow up just continued to show her energy and her enthusiasm for the role. And we ended up hiring her and she was one of the best hires I ever made. And so, you know, she didn't give up. She didn't bother me, but she also consistently followed up for a period of months. Um, until I had the right role for her and had decided to move forward with her. So I think she's a great example of someone who just didn't give up. You know, she kept following up until she got what she was looking for in a really nice way. I really love that example, Kristen. And I think that your call out about don't bug people is true. And that's kind of what I was trying to get at about, yeah, it is about you, but how do you make it not be about you, right? 
So it it was about her trying to get her foot into the organization, but she did did so in such a thoughtful way that it felt less about her and more about the value right. that she could bring to your organization. And that's kind of what I, I was getting at there. Um, but I think your example is phenomenal um, and, and probably was done in such a way that she was part of your muscle memory. When you did have that role open, you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. What about, what about her? Right. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. And now she's on our advisory board. Shout out wow. to Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we continue with the rest of the interview, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This special episode is brought to you by the Customer Success Leadership Network. The Customer Success Leadership Network is a thought leadership group that focuses on increasing the adoption of customer success principles and practices, which enable businesses to achieve and sustain growth through customer retention and expansion. The broader group is governed and managed by the Customer Success Leadership Network Governing Council, a group of practicing customer success executives who are passionate about nurturing and expanding the customer success function in the software industry, and then evangelizing the discipline as a whole. For more information, you can visit CustomerSuccessNetwork.com. So let's shift gears and assume that you got the job and you're in a new industry. What are your recommendations for building domain expertise in the early days of a new role? Uh, Yeah, so this can feel daunting sometimes, depending on uh, depending on where you're joining and, and what the product is, right? So the first thing I, I would say is be fearless. Take your, your ego or whatever it is that you have and just chuck it out the window. Ask questions, ask lots of questions and continue to do so until you get it. I think it's important that you understand the whys and not just the hows. So a lot of a lot of the times when you're new and you join a company, uh, you know, sometimes you you have this you want to impress people or you don't want to come across as and you don't know what you're doing. Um, you you have to kind of just check that at the door and go in with the constant curiosity, the growth mindset. Uh, and also just preemptively let people know, I ask a lot of questions. Um, and that's because I really want to know the whys and not the hows, and that'll help you get there. Also, I would say shadow, uh, shadow lots of different departments, lots of different teams, shadow sales, listen to how they talk about the product, how they talk to the customers, what's the terminology and verbiage that's used, uh, what's the feel? Uh, is it very professional? Is it very casual? Like really look for all of those things. Uh, shadow customer success, of course. Uh, shadow product. Understand how product talks about the product as well, because product is generally uh, generally are the visionaries of the product and probably hold you know the keys to what the product is going to look like uh, and how you should be thinking about it and how you should talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then just a few other little tips that come, you know, top of mind is read and answer customer support tickets. Um, There's nothing that's going to help you get into the new industry quicker than going right to the front lines and seeing what the customers are asking and learning how to answer those questions. I love that Uh, one. Yeah, it's so crucial. And it just it helps you learn quickly. Like you have to learn quickly and learn where your resources are. 
and then I just have two more that I always think about, but be a customer of your product. Um, if it's possible, uh, walk a mile in your customer's shoes. Understand how they use your product, what works, what doesn't work, what features do what, why it was created, how your customers could adopt it organically in other departments. Just really be a, pro- a customer of your product. And then I think the most important thing is talk to your customers. Talk to them. Uh, know, you know, talk to them about what they're struggling with, what their use cases are on your product. Um, understand what they do on a day-to-day in the industry, how they impact the industry. So those are, you know, those are six things that I do when I am uh, joining a new industry just to kind of get, you know, my, my feet wet and understand what's going on. Those are great, very, very practical suggestions, which I love. Um, I want to talk about acronyms for a moment. Acronyms really bother me. I know they're a fast way to communicate, but they start with the assumption that everyone you're talking to understands the acronym, which isn't always the case. I think they can come across as arrogant, especially to customers or to new employees. That said, pretty much every company I've ever worked with or for um, has their own set of internal acronyms. How would you recommend that a new employee tackle the acronyms that they are going to inevitably face? Oh gosh, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm just as guilty. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what industry or what position you're in. There's always going to be acronyms. And now I'm finding, as I'm in a new industry that I've never been in before, that they use acronyms that mean different things in this different industry. So that just added a <laughs> confusion for me, yeah. where they were talking about certain things and they were using acronyms, and I left with an understanding that it meant something. And it didn't. Um, so yeah. the first rule I use is until you're speaking the lingo, don't assume you know what the acronym means. Yeah. So I often interrupt conversations, but I do so politely. And I, I say, pardon me, but what does that mean? What does that acronym mean? Um, and I do it both with customers and my fellow team members. And everybody's always so gracious. And sometimes they end apologize. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. You know, you're not from this industry. That acronym means X, Y, Z, right? Next, you know, I think creating a doc with industry specific acronyms in it and sharing it is super helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first started it swiftly, uh, I, there were acronyms being thrown around left and right, and I had no clue what was going on. So we created the doc. It's our acronym library. Mm-hmm. Uh, super helpful. And, uh, you know, if you're new, right out of the gate, ask. Ask for acronyms yeah. that are most commonly used. Um, and, you know, people, they get, we get moving so fast. And when we've been in the industry for a while, we don't think about that experience of someone new coming in anymore because we're no longer new. Right. So it's up to you as the, you know, new hire or new team member to call it out. Just say, hey, would you mind sharing with me the most commonly used acronyms or terminology or phrases that I should, you know, get accustomed to? And yeah. Then- and I think when you're in the moment, don't be afraid to ask too. It can feel, you can feel really dumb. I'll be honest, probably the the most stupid I've ever felt in a role was when I was new and I didn't understand an acronym and I felt like I probably should know it. 
And yet I was, and so I was kind of afraid to ask and yet it kept getting used and, you know, the longer you wait. Yeah. The worse it gets. Um, So that's where I came into like, check that ego and everything else and just admit it. Say, I I have no clue what you're talking about. And I always suggest do it early, do it early, early because it just becomes more awkward. And then, you know, you're Googling this acronym and you're like getting 50 results on what it means. So it just, it's, it's a downward spiral. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't worry about the optics, worry about increasing your knowledge. You're going to be more beneficial to the company that you're with and yourself. You're going to provide more value to the customers if you flush that out early and often. Exactly. So let's say someone who's listening to the podcast is considering a move into a new field. What would be your step-by-step recommendations for them? Well, step-by-step, the first thing I would say is assess why you want to move into that field. The stronger your why, uh, the more advocates you're likely going to be able to access. So, you know, I think a good example is, is if I was, you know, wanting to move into and I'm trying to think of a field. Uh, do you have a field real quickly, Kristen, any random field? Oh, let's say um, pharmaceutical industry. All right. So I'm very passionate about the pharmaceutical industry because I believe that it provides great value to many individuals who are suffering with ailments. And I want to be able to make an impact there. Right. So um, I'm going to really dig in and figure out my why. So that'll allow me to have access to more advocates so we can all share that common why. Mm -hmm. And then once you figure that out, you want to start exposing yourself to the folks in that field, whether it be via meetups, LinkedIn groups, uh, their writing, just try to get exposure. Some fields have more public public facing groups than others. Um, So if you find that there is a field that you're trying to get into and there are no public facing groups, great. Congratulations, because you can create that public facing group and you can rally others in in that uh, field uh, to come to your group. Um, I talked about it earlier as well. Uh, LinkedIn is a powerful tool, so use it. Uh, There are so many things on there, the groups and, you know, connecting with other individuals. So definitely use that. Last point I'm going to make, and this is kind of an unpopular one, but be willing to take a step back. If you really want to get into that field, let's say you're a vice president of customer success, you might not be able to get a vice president of customer success role in that field if the experience doesn't correlate. Right. Um, and I'm just going to use engineering in, as an example. I know that's not, you know, a, a industry, but let's just use it as an example. If I'm a vice president of customer success, I wouldn't be able to take a vice president of engineering role because I'm not qualified, right? right? right. Um, so I would need to first educate myself, second, then get an entry level role to build my way back up. So just have a similar mindset to where if you're really passionate about it and you want to break in, be willing to take a step back if that's something that you need to do. Um, Also, I think we talked a little bit about it earlier, figure out how your current experience serves uh, the new role. So Mm -hmm. maybe you don't have to take a step back, right? Um, as long as you're going into a similar position in a new field. Yeah, I think I love your advice about being willing to take a step back. I've had to do that at least two or three times in my career in order to get where I wanted to go. 
um, either take a step back in terms of title or in terms of pay or um, whatever. And it has never done me wrong. <laughs> I'll put that out there. I always end up back at what I was before or better. And so yeah. um, I think that if you're willing to take that risk, and it is a risk, and it's especially a risk if you live in a expensive place like the Bay Area or New York or any of the major cities in the U.S., you know, there's there's a pay hit that goes along with that. And that can be really scary. Um, but if you're really excited about what you're moving to, it's worth that risk um, because your passion is going to and your drive is going to get you back up to where you were and, and even better. So yeah, I think it's worth taking that risk. Yeah, definitely. Definitely opinion. Um, last question, and this is something we ask all of our guests. What do you see as the biggest trend in customer success right now and why? Yeah. So right now, I think I'm seeing a greater focus on the value that customer success can drive and how we quantify it. Um, I feel like we've talked about this for years, um, but we've always been viewed as a tool in churn reduction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think now we're, we're starting to be seen as revenue generators, influencers in the product roadmap, and we're just being hired earlier and earlier in companies. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen that really over the past couple of years, but I think it's really coming to fruition now. And I also just, I'm starting to see customer success in more companies than just tech and SaaS. Yeah. I, I'm seeing more positions open. And I, I just continue to see the expansion of customer success globally. I love it when I see that there are groups now that are doing meetups globally that weren't just a year or two ago. So it's fantastic. It's very cool. We do a lot of work with companies that are not SaaS companies. Um, and, you know, a lot of them don't even really feel like technology companies. They're more like services companies. And, and they're starting to put customer success in place. And I actually talked to somebody from an automotive company that was looking at customer success. And so it's really exciting to see it go into all kinds of different industries. And and I hope we'll see that trend continue because I think it's important. Miranda, thanks so much for sharing your ideas and personal stories about changing fields and gaining domain expertise. I know our audience loves practical advice. So thanks for your organized approaches to this important topic. I appreciate you taking the time to join me on the podcast today and for representing the Customer Success Leadership Network. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Uh, my pleasure. And for those that want to reach out, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Miranda Dekonsky. Uh, and also, I, I do have a Twitter at Miranda Says, um, but I'm not very active on it. That's something I need to do better. So maybe if I had more people that connect with me on Twitter, I would be encouraged to be more active on Twitter. I don't so know. Everyone go and, and connect with Miranda on Twitter and help her achieve her goal. Yeah. <laughs> I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere else you get your podcasts. And finally, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.